Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show, The Big Show, the most important and critically acclaimed podcast that is recorded in our car. I don't know why I always do such a big breath for the word car. I don't know. It's a perfectly good car that's not requiring a lot of drama to move down the road. No, no, it's not. We got the we got the uh, the car. We're on the highway, uh, as much as it is considered a highway. Uh, the big Hemi engine is sitting here purring. So everything's good. We've got a, a guy in a brand spanking new Mustang, which are really sharp-looking cars, but it ain't a GT. So, I mean, come on. If you're going to buy a Mustang, get a GT with the big six or the big motor in it. Don't get a little six-cylinder all show, no go. <sighs> anyway, pressing right along. You know, I saw... This somewhat works into the topic for today's podcast. I saw back there recently a big three-legged dog. It was hopping around on three legs. And it was by the side of the road, and it was watching our car as it was driving past. And you could see that wistful look in its face that it really wanted to chase our car. And if you think about that for a minute, a three-legged dog wishing it could chase our car. You know, some people just don't really learn lessons. <laughs> well, that's not exactly the topic of Or they the, don't learn the right lessons. Well, they don't learn the, the right lessons. Uh, the topic of today's podcast is about dogs, but not really. It's about dog tales in society. Because right now, we live in a society, and this is, a, this is more of a general podcast than a prepping podcast. We live in a society in which... By and large, most of the people in our society are letting the tail wag the dog. Tail wag the dog? What's that mean, Salty? Okay. The tail wagging the dog is an old expression. And what it basically means is to lose track of what is truly important and focus on small, symptomatic stuff, or stuff that makes no difference, whatever. It's a concentration of... There's there's several different ways that you can describe it, but one of the ways is it's a concentration on the... uh, Symptoms rather than the root causes. Thank you. (laughs) Sorry, I had to stop and was actually driving. He was paying attention to his driving. He was paying attention to my driving there, so I was a little pause there. I was like, okay, what is that weird shadow? Okay. If you're focusing on the small outcomes of a situation, rather than stepping back and looking at the big picture, you're going to try and put a bunch of band-aids on all the little small problems you see, and you're going to be too distracted by that to have a feel for what's really going on and be addressing the right things. And it's not going to work. Because you can put a Band-Aid on all the symptoms if you want, but if you don't address the root cause, the symptoms just keep coming back and new ones keep popping up beside it. Let me give you a for example. An example, you you bought an old car. And since there's a Mustang following us, I'm going to use an old car I had at one time that did actually (laughs) have a leaky head gasket. So the example I'm going to use is, let's say you've gone out and you bought a 1977 Ford Mustang II with a 2.3-liter four-cylinder engine in it, which almost by default means you have a car that leaks oil out every seam, because that's what they did. But your particular atrocious engine has got a leaky head gasket, okay? 
you got this leaky head gasket. What that means is the cylinder head, there's one, there's a cylinder head, so four cylinders, there's only one, has a cover on it. And between that cover and the engine block, there is a gasket. And that gasket's what supposedly, except on everything, well, on everything that isn't a Ford 2.3 liter made in the 70s, um, that keeps the oil from leaking out all over your motor. The gasket is the seal, right? These things are notorious for leaking. So, what do you do? The problem is you have a bad head gasket. Now, you can take the head cover off and you can replace it with a high-quality aftermarket gasket, which won't leak anymore. Or that would be the dog wagging the tail because you are fixing that particular problem. If you just keep cranking more oil into it, the tail's wagging the dog. Exactly. So the the the, the tail wagging the dog, you put more oil in. But even more, what you what you do is you okay. Since this thing is chucking oil out a quart every thousand miles, why not just find the cheapest oil I can put in this so I can reduce the overall cost this car has of operating? Yeah, it's going to leave a poor, uh, 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 a uh, trail of black smoke. Trail of black smoke behind you. Yeah, you'll go everywhere you park. You're going to have a puddle of oil underneath it, but. You know, who cares, right? Oil's good. I mean, oil keeps the, the, the economy moving. We've heard that, right? That's what they mean, right? Pretty sure that's not what they mean. No. Right? But here's the thing is to keep in mind why somebody might do that. And frankly, at one time early in our relationship, that's what we did. Well, first of all, sometimes the tail wags the dog because you have no other choice. Yeah. We could not afford to get the engine fixed. Well, once we could afford to get the engine fixed, I got the engine fixed. Yes, but there was a period there when it just we just did not have happen. the money. So, but you could afford to chunk a new quart of oil in it every thousand miles, and so that's called that getting by as you have to. Yeah, but it's very easy to get in that mode when you don't mean to, because you're task loaded. Other things are going on. You're trying to deal with a lot of the rest of your life. The oil light comes on in the car. Fine, you stop and give it a quart of oil. And go on. And, the and next, then you get distracted. And the next time the oil light comes on, you, you give it a quart of oil. stop and give it another quart of oil. And you, while you're doing that, you pick up a couple extra quarts because you're at the Dollar General store or the, or the cheap store. And you know if you have to stop at a gas station, they're going to charge you nine, ten bucks for a quart of oil, whereas you, know, you can get a $3, $2 quart of oil at the dollar store. So you're just going to pick that up there because it's cheaper. And you're going to start stocking the oil in your car <laughs> instead of fixing the problem. You're letting yourself be run by events focusing on the immediate fire to put out because it takes intentional time and effort to stop back and think of the bigger picture. One example I've been looking at this from a prepper point of view is watching the uh, forums lately. Of course, I'm on some prepping forums. That's no big shock, right? There's a whole lot of people focusing on, okay, they're reporting to each other what things are getting scarce on the shelves in their area so people can go out and buy that thing before it disappears. And for one thing, most of the stuff that's getting scarce, these guys, things are not necessities, okay? They're things we're used to having, they're things that are handy, but they're not necessities. And they're certainly things you don't need to stock up whole bunches of in case they disappear down the road. But what they're not doing is stopping and taking a look at, hey, what we're seeing here is a bunch of small, scattered, but frequent 
supply disruptions. And if our economy is throwing a whole bunch of small, frequent, dispersed supply disruptions, what underlying problem is it having that I can do something about? I'm not trying to go into the politics here. It's not about the politics. It's about what you personally can affect. So I'm seeing all those supply disruptions, and I'm thinking about, okay, if our economy gets really bad, how are we set for long-term going forward, and what can we do about it? Uh, For example, if you carry debt, reducing the amount of debt you're carrying makes life enormously easier during financial disruptions. If you're looking for something to do for a living, uh, choosing things to do for a living that are likely to have long-term value to other human beings, even in difficult economic times, is a better choice than doing something involving luxuries that people are going to drop. So you think about what is the dog attached to this tail, and what can I do to make friends with this dog, rather than just worrying about what the tail is knocking off the table right at the moment. Sounds sounds exactly like what I was trying to say. And then there's ways that you can, if you're smart, and if you're thinking, there's ways that you can game the system to get ahead. Because you see what, like, for example, you're talking about shopping. I don't care what they're short of now. What are they long of? What is cheap? What do What's I a good need buy? that is cheap? That is a long-term storage item that I have the space to store, that I can afford, that I can pay for without going into any debt. What is cheap? That I might need, for example, if we lost jobs or something like that. Or, or is some, a disruption. Yeah, or is something that we absolutely use anyway. Like, for example, if um, uh, buckets of long-term storage oatmeal were cheap. Yeah, okay. We got a basement. We'll put them in the basement. Buy a couple buckets. We're good because we're gonna. She she likes I her eat oatmeal. She likes her gruel. It will use it. I'm gonna eat that if there's emergencies. I'm gonna eat that if there's no emergencies. It's just and I, a thing I eat a lot during the cold months of the year. By the way, I'm not saying they are cheap. I have no idea whether they're cheap or not. I haven't looked because we bought. A yeah, bunch we of have plenty. <laughs> when it was cheaper, a- we stocked up. Yeah. Uh, if something is cheap and you don't need it, it is not cheap. To you, as uh, my old friend Paul told me when I was a young, well, I wasn't even a young man; I was still a kid. A bargain ain't a bargain unless you need it, and I think that's something that's legit to remember. A bargain ain't a bargain unless you, you know. I like that Highland High School. We're driving past Highland High School in Northeast Missouri, and they installed a jumbotron at their football field. When they redid their football field, they went to turf and all that stuff. But one of the interesting things they did, they installed their Jumbotron, so that it actually also works as a large billboard for the school, for the highway, so they can put all their school messages on the Jumbotron and people driving past can read it. They just had a happy holidays uh, thing. But they also put, like, uh, when they have honor students and stuff like that. See, that's thinking ahead. Half that's day off ahead. for teacher training on blah, blah, blah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So everybody says yeah, we can see it as long as you're heading towards Ewing, not away from Ewing. If you're heading away from Ewing, well, <laughs> that's what you get for leaving. Tough you toenails. get to be clueless. Uh, <laughs> totally beside the point, but we always have one digression. <laughs> there we go. So that was that. Uh, one other thing. <coughs> Excuse me. I don't have the COVID at the moment. I just get a little clumped when I talk. Um, one other thing on, you know, I'm a car guy. Everybody's got their things. I'm a gun guy. I'm a car guy. Um, He's a camera guy. He's got I'm a camera guy. 
but I'm a car guy. And I could give you a perfect example of if somebody were paying attention, understanding what is going on, and looking to find a solution, a long-term solution, to a problem, there's all kinds of examples out there. And I'm going to give you one that's, that's car-related. Everybody who knows anything about United States-built automobiles over the last 25 years, specifically 90s to 2010, in that range of cars, knows that the Cadillac North Star engine had a fundamental and hideous defect in it. The bolts that hold the head on are not, or the, uh, the, the head mounting system is not robust enough for an engine of that size and power. So over time, usually 80, 90,000 miles, sometimes it can happen sooner, they break. And this is an expensive repair. Okay, this is this is not a cheap repair because the, they break and the head gasket starts to leak, which is not a valve cover gasket, by the way, like what I was talking about before. <laughs> this is a head gasket. This is a this is a whole different level, especially on one of these cars, which means you have to pull the engine. There's a fix for it, and the fix is properly done by skilled mechanics. But they basically they remove all the old head bolts. And the old systems, they drill them out. They put in new ones that are robust enough. Basically, it's a $2,500 to $3,000 fix. Now, why in the world would anybody fix a 1999 Cadillac Sedan DeVille with a $3,000 fix? Well, let me tell you why. Because once you do that, you have a, an engine That'll get you another 250,000 miles. Because that's the only thing wrong with that motor. And they die so early in their lifestyle that you can get real bargains. The cars are basically, they're, they're maybe 20 years old, but they're just hardly driven at all. Because they start overheating. And people can drive them around town, but they'll overheat because they have this, this, this problem. And you can buy these cars for nothing in mint condition. You can buy them for a thousand bucks in mint condition. As far as when you get them fixed, you know, oh boy, it's fixed. The head gasket's fixed. You got this. My car is worth what I've paid for it. But what you have is a luxury, well-built automobile that will last you 10 to 15 years for four grand. Insurance is dirt cheap. Parts are dirt cheap because there's used parts for these things all over the place. Lots of broken ones sitting around. Okay, why would I go through all this trouble? Listen to what I just said. That is eight to ten months of car payments on what most people are paying with their car. And you're done. And you have a car that you can drive another couple hundred thousand miles. Thinking with your head as opposed to letting the dog. Oh, I'm having trouble with my car. I better go buy a new car. Not letting yourself be run by an immediate sense of urgency and panic reaction to the current situation, preferably thinking ahead of time before you have, you know, the car leaves you somewhere overheated, preferably thinking ahead of time and getting the problem addressed before you have the major error. But even if you do, you don't let yourself be stampeded by the immediate surge of events, but take a moment to stop and think about it. Where did this come from? What can be done about it that's within my reach? 
bothering to take the longer-term view instead of letting yourself be stampeded. And to do that, you absolutely need to not spend all your time on media sources, any media sources, letting people tell you how dramatic and awful things are at the moment. Because let me tell you, every media source out there that's reporting news knows that blood makes the front page. They all like to emphasize things that make you afraid and make you worried. And and it's important to understand why, because that gets you clicking, that gets you viewing, and that makes them money. And that's all they yeah, care about. They're doing it to get you to pay attention to them. And to get you to pay attention to them, they have to make things sound as dramatic as possible. So they emphasize the worst of the tail wags. They put the tail wags in the worst light they possibly can, which tends to encourage people to pay attention to the wags. It's more important to pay attention to the dog that's doing the wagging, but you won't do that if you just sit around listening to the people talk about the tail wags. So don't. Spend less time doing that. Or, if you're going to do it, if you're bound and determined to do it, you, you, you do it in a way where you are doing the wagging. By you look at this thing, you're watching this thing, and you say, okay, where does this leave me the opportunities to excel? Where, what, how, how does this, if, the, if everybody's being convinced of this, how do I move against the grain and have an opportunity to profit, either personally or financially, from the situation? How do I go across the grain? Because going across the grain is prepping. You know, prepping is all about doing across the grain stuff because that's just what it is. Okay, go, go ahead. I, I, no, that's I base. That was basically what I wanted to say. That you need to be asking the questions that are important rather than just listening to the answers that somebody else to the questions somebody else wants to talk about. Right. And think about what's driving things and what you can do about them and where it might be heading. Don't just spend all your time trying to grab the vases that the dog's tail is knocking off the table. Exactly. We, uh, the, the key to the whole how, okay, you say don't let the dog wag, or the tail wag the dog. Well, how do I do that? Well, you be proactive. You be, um, you don't live in an echo chamber. You look around and you be proactive and you decide where the opportunities are for you to excel and succeed and thrive. Because that's what it's all about. A lot of times that's in asking the questions that other people aren't bothering to ask at the moment because they're focused on the tail. And oftentimes it's nothing more than, yeah, okay, there's all kinds of noise out there, but none of that really affects where the rubber hits the road. So let's just concentrate on where the rubber hits the road. Um, let's concentrate on what's going on in my life, around me, what I see, what I, what I have going on in my little world. Let's concentrate on that, and then we'll let them guys just talk, be the talking heads. I think it's time to let them go feed the dog. All right. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.